Hi, this is Tim Storms. You may remember me from parts on Star Trek Enterprise and as Patrick Stewart's stunt double on the new series Star Trek Picard. And you're listening to Trek Untold. Welcome back to Trek Untold, the Star Trek-inspired podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. Today's episode is a special one, more than they normally are here, because our guest is the first stunt performer we're going to chat with in this series, and that person is Tim Storms. You might recall Tim's work from three episodes of Star Trek Enterprise, including the pilot episode, and most recently in Star Trek Picard, where he was Sir Patrick Stewart's stunt double, a role he has been active in since 2015. And in case you're wondering, yes, it was Tim who took the brunt of that giant explosion in the first episode of Picard, and oh, does he have a story to tell about that. Tim has been in tons of things you've seen, from The Matrix, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Bulletproof Monk, 24, Grimm, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2 and 3, and a bunch more. But because he's a stunt performer, you rarely see his face. That's the work that these folks do, and ultimately that's the life of a stunt performer when they're acting, as invisible warriors who do the things that other actors can't and won't do. And that means hiding their faces from the camera so that the audience never knows it was someone else doing that important stunt. In the case of Tim, though, you actually have seen his face when he was a Vulcan commando in Enterprise. But most of those other roles, you would never know he was on screen unless he pointed it out for you. Case in point, watch Picard and see how many times you think you could spot him. Some are certainly more obvious than others, as you're going to learn today. Just a quick note, I do want to apologize in advance for the tinny audio in this interview. I'm not sure what happened when we recorded, but it got a little bit funky for this and one other episode that I recently recorded. But by the time these air, that problem should have been sorted out and won't affect any future episodes. Before we begin this episode, I'd like to remind you to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Trek Untold. One word, no spaces. You can also support our show by visiting patreon.com slash trekuntold. If you're already following us or offering your support in any way, thank you for your help. Most of all, please make sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a rating and review wherever it is that you're listening to it. This helps more people find us and hear the show. And I'd also like to make a quick shout out to our friends at Triple Fiction Productions, who make some great 3D printed Star Trek inspired products for toys and people. But you're going to hear more about them a little bit later. Now, without further ado, let's beam up this week's guest. Computer, access interview file. Affirmative. Initiating program. Welcome back to Trek Untold, and joining me now on the other side of the line, we've got stuntman extraordinaire Tim Storms. Tim, how's it going today? Great. How are you doing, Matthew? Not too bad. I'm very excited to get you on the show today because you are the first stunt performer we're talking to, uh, and I think it's it's a real part of the industry that gets overlooked a lot. I worked on a documentary a few years ago about uh, New York City stunt performers and what they go through, especially being in New York during the real boom period for stunts. Uh, it was a real eye-opener, and uh, you know I'm really excited to be able to get your knowledge and information out there to folks who also might not be too familiar with, with what a stunt performer does. Awesome. So, Tim, uh, my first question is the same question I ask all of our guests, and that is, what is your earliest memory of Star Trek? Uh, I was born in 1966, so that, that was the, uh, the original series, came out in 66 as well. Um, so I didn't get to see that live, but I grew, I definitely grew up with, uh, watching the reruns of that in the early seventies. Really, really loved that. That's still one of my favorites. 
then as I got into, I believe I was in ninth or 10th grade and, uh, then, uh, next generation came, came into play and, uh, I really fell in love with that. So you grew up in Minnesota. So tell us a little about who your parents were, what it was like growing up there and what you wanted to be when you grew up. Uh, my, I grew up in small town, Minnesota. My, uh, both my parents were teachers, uh, but uh, after a while, we had a big family, so my mom was a stay-at-home mom. Uh, but my dad taught a lot of things uh, from English to language, German, Russian, uh, electronics. Uh, he was a, a uh, um, in the the military, so uh, he worked with with uh, a lot of uh, military level electronics and, and, uh, communications and stuff like that. So, uh, it was quite a, quite a varied and, uh, it was for, for a small town. I, I had quite a, quite a bit of exposure to, to, um, international type scenarios. Uh, people from other countries were brought in and, uh, we got to experience other cultures, um, throughout things that my, my parents were teaching or experiencing. So early on, I believe you were into gymnastics and a lot of other things. It wasn't quite stunts yet. So tell us a little bit about uh, that. Uh, yeah, actually, before I even knew what was going on, my brother, would, uh, who was a competitive gymnast, would take me out in the backyard and have me try tricks that he was able to do uh, on the swing sets or Hey, jump out of this tree or Hey, flip over like this. And, you know, at four years old, I, I was, uh, pretty rambunctious and, and, uh, uh, pretty fearless at that time. And he would, he taught me, you know, he would have me do handstand pushups every day and, and, uh, chin-ups and he just really got me in shape at a very early age. Um, and then finally, my my parents witnessed me swinging from the uh, my knees uh, from the swing set and flipping over. And my dad said, "Oh, this you know, it's getting a little dangerous now." So uh, he brought me to the the gym, uh, the high school gym, and the coach picked me up in his arms and he jumped on the trampoline and did a backflip with me in his arms. And I went, "Hey, do that again." So I, I was hooked on gymnastics ever since then. And uh, I became the mascot. I was too young to actually compete, but I got to participate. And I actually got to w- work with the team. So I became a gymnast at a very early age. And, and you know, the, the training that went with it really stuck with me for the rest of my life. Um, I did that for a couple of years, and then when I was able to actually get back into competitive gymnastics, I did right away. That was in about seventh grade, so I did a few years of that until they stopped the programs in all around the country, basically. But in the interim, between uh, doing gymnastics as a, as a small child and in high school, I had started martial arts when I was about. Uh, 12 years old uh, Taekwondo specifically at that time um, very heavily into that so I actually started combining gymnastics and martial arts at the same time 
and putting them together into choreography and uh, which wasn't a lot of people didn't do at that time. So I would have put slips in my routines and things like that. Um, so then eventually that led to choreographing uh, fake fights for various uh small small theatrical shows and and small uh productions in the area and uh it went on from there so i i started choreographing fights and doing theater and things like that at a very young age so it all kind of gelled together for me without me even trying it was you know i was presented a lot of great opportunities and it it I just happened to, you know, capitalize on on all the things that I really loved to do, which was great. So you're dipping your toes in stage combat, essentially, and choreography. You're doing gymnastics, you're doing martial arts. And I believe from then you also started to learn how to become a clown and a juggler, as well as then uh, studying did. classical and musical theater. So you can tell us about a little bit of that uh, and where you studied for all of these various things. Uh, yes, I I. Before I even went to college, uh, my buddy taught me how to juggle, uh, and we put together a troupe. So then we started incorporating all of those things, gymnastics, tumbling, um, circus performing, clowning, um, together. I Another opportunity that presented itself was uh, there was a, a festival in our town that my, my parents helped to to establish and that brought in a lot of performers from around the world and around the country and some of those performers were actually jugglers and magicians and mimes and acrobats and so every every summer i was able to get exposure to some of the top performers in those realms and i would just try to keep in contact with them and learn from them and understudy them as much as possible. Uh, some of the, the top jugglers in the world and top clowns and mimes. I, you know, I, I really enjoyed that. So it's, it's, you know, as a kid at my age, when normally you sit around bored and look for things to do, I was able to, to actually work on skills that, that, I was able to make money off of and, and perform. So I started performing, you know, as a, as a paid clown and, and, uh, acrobat at a, at about, uh, 15 years old. Yeah. It's a pretty intensely diverse set of skills you had there. And, uh, I'm curious now, how does this lead you down the road of working in stunts? Well, that's a, a long circuitous path as well. Um, as you said, I went to af after uh, high school, I was still performing as a clown and juggler. And I went to school at a, uh, an offshoot of the University of Minnesota called Mankato State University. And at that time, I thought I was going to be an electrical engineer. So I applied for that and I was ready to go with that. And at the last minute, somebody brought up that there was a, a scholarship for the, the theater department there. And I said, Oh, what the heck? I'll, you know, I like theater too. Maybe I'll, I'll try this and see if I can pay my way into school a little bit. So I applied and uh, lo and behold, I 
cut the scholarship and I went, okay, I'll do this for the first year and then I'll go back to the electrical engineering. Never happened, of course. Um, so I, from the very beginning, I, I, I'd already done some local theater and performing, as I said. So I, I got uh, hooked on Shakespeare and classical theater and musical theater, which I got my degree in classical and musical theater. Um, and I, I just never turned back after that. It was it was an amazing transition for me uh, because I, you know, I was actually a very shy kid when I was little and performing was when I was on stage and still to this day, uh, performing is my escape. It's, I I was scared to death to give speeches and, and to talk in public. And, um, when I was on stage, being another character was really, really, uh, great for me to, to, get into another character and to be able to express myself and, and not feel that, that pressure. And that was a huge transition for me. So while I was in college, while I was taking these theater courses, of course, with classical theater, you have to learn how to sword fight and use weapons and do stage combat. And, and with my background, uh, my teachers noticed that I was able to teach these things already. So they took me on as, as basically an apprentice. And I was, I started uh, teaching at a, in my undergraduate, some of these courses for stage combat, which I had picked up very quickly and uh, it all progressed from there. So, um, you know, I, I was doing weaponry and, I still the gymnastics and clowning and it all just really was an amalgamation of all those skills that I'd done for fun and loved as a, as a kid and all the time growing up. And it, it was amazing to me that, you know, you could put it all together. Yeah. It sounds like it was a very natural transition for you as well, because you had all this diverse skills your background already so it wasn't you know that difficult if you just jump into that world yeah yeah exactly but there's some things you can't really train for necessarily things like stair falls wire work uh some other things getting hit by a car <laughs> things we'll talk about as we go into this interview them i'm definitely curious about how you picked up some of those abilities but uh let's talk now about what your very first professional stunt job was on a show or a movie very first uh, on a on a show or a movie um it was in college. It was really, you know, a small pratfall. And it, that's usually the way people progress is it, it was a, it was a local, um, I think it was a commercial, um, in the twin cities. And, uh, I just had to fall down. Um, and it didn't seem like it was any kind of transition from what I'd been doing before. As you said, it was a very gradual transition, so that's why I'm kind of blanking on it. In major motion pictures, once I got here to Hollywood um, or to L.A., my first big production was actually I, I, I was going through the trade papers and I, I saw there was an open call audition for uh, a new Mel Brooks movie, uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights. So I went down to Hollywood. I stood in a huge line. For a couple hours, I went in through the cattle call. We had to do 
some sword fighting, crack balls, little gymnastics if you could, and a, a little fighting. So I went through that. I started walking out the door, and they said, how'd you do on the archery? And I went, oh, I, did, I didn't know there was archery here. I don't have a bow. And they said, oh, they have a couple bows over there. So I went over to the station that they had for shooting bow and arrow and picked up this tiny little bow and, and uh, shot four bullseyes. So they said, oh, definitely, we'll, we'll be talking to you. So I went, okay. The next day, I went back because I realized that the, I thought it was a different call. Uh, they wanted more uh, acrobats and jugglers and things like that, which were specialty acts. So they said, what are you doing back here? And I said, I, I just wanted to show you some more stuff. So I brought out some bull whips that I'd been working with and juggling and rode a unicycle. And I did some more flips and and they loved that. So I waited for probably a month and a half and I got very frustrated because I hadn't heard anything. And I, I thought I'd done so well and I heard nothing back from them except for crickets. And finally I got a call and they said, hi, we, we want to cast you as uh, one of the merry men in Robin Hood men and tights. And I went, great. That's awesome. And they gave me a date to, that we were starting. So I was very excited. 15 minutes later, I got another call saying, hi, we want to cast you as uh, it, this was from the same company, different, different part of the, the, the company. Uh, we want to cast you as one of uh the the king's guards and i said well, uh, i just got cast as a merry man they said well you get to choose then and i said well what's going to give me more screen time and so my choice was to be one of robin hood's uh, men in tights so that was my first big picture uh with with and i wasn't even really cast as a stunt person even though you know it was it was more of a background thing once we, once we got on set with that, uh, we went through a lot of scenes and, and um, I was happy to say that I, I kept getting featured in a lot of the shots and Mel Brooks, in fact, would come up and talk to me and ask me my opinion, my humble little opinion on, you know, if, if things were funny or not. And he, he liked what I did so that he would put me in the front of the shot or even give me you know, little bits to do at, at certain times, which actually made it in the movie at, at certain points. Um, and I, I was still a little frustrated because even though I was in this major motion picture, um, I wasn't sword fighting, which I, I really wanted to do. So they said uh, there was this big battle scene. They said, okay, here's a, here's a rubber sword. We want you to go through the battle scene and just pretend like you're fighting somebody, just run through. I went, okay. So I grabbed a guy that I knew, you know, we'd been training a little, I, I, I'd been working with him a little bit already. And uh, I knew that he could sword fight. I, I put together, I choreographed a little fight and we had these rubber swords and we ran through, we turned around and instead of just running, we, we started a sword fight. So that actually made it into the into the final cut of the film where, uh, you know, we're fighting with rubber swords in the middle of this big, big uh, fray. So that was that was quite fun. That was my first first experience with Hollywood. And actually on set, I was uh, standing there one day waiting for us to to shoot. And I heard this booming voice behind me and i went wow that sounds like patrick stewart he's amazing 
And I turned around and it was Patrick Stewart. And I was, I stood there with my mouth open, wondering what was going on. And, and, uh, I saw him talking with Mel Brooks and, uh, they were talking about uh, his upcoming part in the film, which was, uh, King Richard. And, uh, so I actually got to work with Patrick Stewart on a Mel Brooks movie, my first shot out. <laughs> and of course, the fates would have it that you two would be working together quite a bit in the future. So it's kind of funny that you guys actually met on your very first gig ever. That's that's crazy. Yes, yes. Pretty amazing. So after that, another big thing that you got to work on was uh, in the first Matrix film. You were Lawrence Fishburne's trainer. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about the work that you did with him and on that film? Uh, yes, uh, we were in pre pre-production. And none of the main actors, Carrie Ann, Lawrence, Keanu, uh, had any training in wire work, stage combat, and especially the, the Hong Kong style that they were doing. So they hired me on uh, to work with Lawrence, especially, but a little bit with Carrie Ann um, to just work on, on um, the, the tumbling and the gymnastics stuff so they could perform on the wires better and in, in the choreography. So Lawrence and I would get together and work on, um, a lot of, a lot of moves. And, uh, I would train him for gymnastics and especially they, they would show me what moves they wanted for the choreography. Um, especially in the dojo fight with, uh, when, when, uh, Lawrence or Neo and, and, uh, Morpheus fight, in the dojo, they, that was the first one that we had to work on. Um, so we spent several weeks working on just moves and coordinating him and strengthening him and more flexibility and putting that all together. And due to the nature of the, the production, they lost their funding. So we stopped training. Another month or two went by. They called me back up. They said, we're back on again. We got back together. We we refreshed everything. We got it all back together. Same thing happened again. They lost funding, you know, so a couple more weeks out. And then they called me back up and we started training again. So basically, I was the liaison between the Hong Kong choreographers who didn't speak any English at all. So I, anytime they had a, a move that they wanted especially Lawrence to do that they couldn't explain or they needed him to work more on. They would assign me to, to do that with him. And then that really got me interested in the wire work that they actually were doing because I did, I'd already been doing martial arts and um, I, I understood the wire work because I'd, I'd done a lot of spotting um, when it comes to gymnastics, we use rigging. That's very similar. And I, I was able to translate that for the actors uh, pretty well and figure out what they wanted. So um, that's where I was able to jump in. Oh, yeah, I was wondering how you got into that wire work part of things. So um, before I talk a little bit more about that, though, I did want to ask you, how was Lawrence Fishburne as a student when you were teaching him all these things? He was fantastic. He was just uh he, he, when he started out, he, he was not that coordinated or adept at, at movement and what definitely wasn't a martial artist. Uh, but he worked his butt off. All of them did on that movie. That was, that was the best part about, uh, 
the initial matrix, the way they worked, they, they allotted a lot of time to, to training the actors from the very beginning. And they wanted the actors to be able to do a lot of their own movement. So that, you know, that process really changed the way that we work here in America and, you know, around the globe. They've been doing it in in China, in Hong Kong for a long time already. Uh, So the actors do most of their own their own action and they, they have a much longer rehearsal period and they train them much more. But that really changed the game when it comes to what we do here. Lawrence especially was so gung ho, but in the beginning, that's what he, he was uh, pretty hesitant about, about throwing a lot of the moves that they asked him to do. But then, you know, once, once we were able to break it down and he was able to see that it's a process, not just, uh, you know, just go, go do the move when, when you work progressionally and you show them little bits and pieces and parts of, the movement that they're, they're being asked to do. And then you put those things together, then, you know, people are much more comfortable with that. So once he, he got a hold of that concept, he got so much better at, at what he was doing and he, he threw himself into it. It was, it was great to see his progress. And of course, got to keep in mind, this is 1999. So wire work is, as you were saying, still very new to America. Uh, this was really the boom yeah. time for that stuff. Cause you had crouching tiger, hidden dragon come out a little bit before the matrix um, so for someone yep. like yourself who's working in L.A., working in the industry, where do you go to learn more about doing wire work? As I said, I, I've been teaching gymnastics for, for years and years. I've, I've always coached gymnastics since I was in college. I, I would run on my lunch break over to the gymnasium and um, coach the, the recreational classes. Uh, in gymnastics. And in that process, a lot of times, you know, coaching um, is, is we're using spotting rigs. Uh, and once I graduated college, I, as soon as I came out here to LA, the first thing I did was go to a gymnastics gym and get a job there. So I had a, a part-time job coaching gymnastics, which I'd always kept throughout my production years. Um, so I was always in, still involved in the, in the gymnastics world and I was able to use those facilities that I was still coaching at to, to practice. And then I figured out, you know, rigs that the stunt people used and then translate that into, uh, you know, the, the Hong Kong style and, just looking at, you know, watching choreography in, in the old Hong Kong movies, Jackie Chan and Jet Li and things like that. I just started experimenting and it's, it's, you know, it just progressed from there. So then eventually, you know, I, I started being used for different movies where we were using a lot more wire work and then, you know, it just, uh, snowballed. And, and, you know, then we, we would train on the job and we would figure out choreography and we would do the same process that we used on the matrix where, you know, we would spend a lot more time rehearsing the choreography, which was not a typical Western style of, of choreographing. And, you know, we would, we would work on just wire tricks. 
in that process, I, I connected with, I, I started my own stunt team. Um, and that uh, I brought on a, a guy named Sam Hargrave, who's now one of the top, top, uh, stunt coordinators in the world. He coordinated, uh, um, the Marvel movies, um, uh, Avengers, Civil War. And, uh, he actually, he has got a movie coming out now, um, that he actually directed, uh, extraction with Chris Hemsworth. Uh, but he and I basically, you know, we, we would have our guys together two, three times a week, just working on choreography, working on skills, working on tricks, putting together filming techniques, working on wire work techniques, um, weapons. And so it, it all progressed from there. I was still teaching gymnastics. I was teaching uh, Wushu Kung Fu by this time, um, which I still teach to this day. So I'd always been involved in a lot of aspects of teaching and that, that helped me keep my hand in the game when it came to, you know, progressing and learning and understanding the, the art form. So not long after you worked on the matrix, you went over to work on star Trek enterprise. Uh, and you were in the pilot episode, broken bow, uh, where you played a Sullivan, uh, and then later in future tense from season two. Uh, and again, another alien character in season four. So, uh, I got to ask, what is the casting process like for a stunt performer on a Star Trek show? When it comes to stunts, a lot of times the stunt coordinators look to the people that they know. And I'd known the stunt coordinator for a while. We'd, we'd worked on uh, several shows together already, and he knew my skills. And I'd, you know, I'd invited him, him to my rehearsals for other things and and you know he he coordinated me on on several other shows already he knew my skills and he knew you know you you talk about what you're doing and you you see what other people can do so there was a level of trust that the stunt coordinator knew that i could get the job done then when it comes down to it he pulls in the people that he knows that can can do the job properly and we did a, a real lineup with this one he brought in you know 20 30 people we all sit in a lineup and then casting director or the the you know uh, the the producers or director or whoever was involved picked us out of the lineup and said you look like you know the the character that we want etc cetera, etc cetera. so it came down to i think there were four or five of us initially stunt Sulaban on the, the first pilot episode that uh, they used. Now, just so our viewers who are watching these episodes back after this episode airs know, uh, can you tell us which stunts you performed on those episodes so we can pick you out? It, it's, it's really difficult to tell. I <laughs> went through Enterprise recently and I watched and I went, oh yeah, I remember that. And I, I'd kind of forgotten some of the things. I actually, as as a Sulaban, um, I, and I can't even remember which episodes they were, but I got to do the the first um, teleport um, where where uh, we had a big fight first. I came in, we did a big wire trick, and I came down and I attacked one of one of the Enterprise crew, and then I took over the the control room, and then I I phased myself out. I, I can't remember what the term is for that when I, you know, teleporting off the ship, but I got to disappear off the ship. They did a really funky, cool 
CGI thing where I'm actually crawling across the ceiling upside down like a spider. So half of that was me, and then half of that was uh, a uh, CGI pickup. And then there, it, it, I'm all over the place. We're we're falling down. We're getting shot. Like I said, there were like four or five of us in the initial episode. Anytime you see somebody get shot, it's it's one of us. But there, you know, I did some really nice little little high falls and um, some wire tricks. I did a wire trick where I jumped up onto uh, a a shuttle in in that same scene. And then I went into the the transporter room. What else did we do on that? It was it was actually I, I complain about it to this day. Uh, the especially on that first episode, the the costuming that we were wearing, Sulaban costumes, were basically neoprene or wetsuits. Uh, so pretty thin pat, uh, uh, costumes with no room for padding. So when we had to take a fall, we really took a fall. And the hardest part I found was when we were on a spaceship, there's no room for error when it comes to falling. Cause you're falling. We had metal grating on the, on the, the decks of that, the ship. So we were falling down basically on metal grating. I remember doing one back fall where I was just hanging from my back from a ladder or two ladders and a two by four. And I had to let myself drop onto my back. And, uh, that was quite a, quite a thumper. Um, there were a couple of things where, uh, they had me jumping in through a, through a porthole, uh, or a, a, uh, it was, it was a a horizontal hole in the, in the floor. And, and I, they didn't show the flip, but I did a front flip through that and I, I dropped down about 10 feet down into down to the next deck. So um, that's one. And I had a really, uh, I based one of my, my headshots on that where uh, I'm posing for that, like a lizard, you know, jump, jumping through a, through a hole, a gopher hole, basically. Um yeah, so we did we did a lot of stunts on that. There were, you know, it's it's too numerous to count, especially over the different seasons, all the the Suleban stuff that we did, and then uh, on a couple of the episodes, I play or an arc, I played uh, a uh, Vulcan commando, which was very fun to play. Um, so we got to do a big fight with with Archer. And um, uh, Scott Bakula and uh, to Paul, uh, so we did a big, big fight with some new weapons that we'd never seen before. And, and uh, Scott had a, a torch, and I got to do a big high fall off the rocks, and that was fun. So a lot of stuff. That was really, really good memories from that show. Trek Untold will return momentarily. Trek Untold is brought to you by Triple Fiction Productions. If you're a Star Trek cosplayer looking for props or toy collector looking to spice up your shelves, Triple Fiction Productions has you covered. Triple Fiction Productions produces affordable and unique 3D printed Trek inspired products from the original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and the movies. You can expect the same amount of care and attention to detail in any of the items in their catalog. 
whether it's a prop replica for use in a fan film, or part of a cosplay, or accessories and playsets for figures from Playmates, Migos, or Diamond Select. Own your very own tricorder or phaser rifle with working lights, the bridge of the Enterprise E for your Playmates figures, or any other item from countless species and ships from the Star Trek universe. All products are 3D printed in the USA and are constantly evolving and improving based on fan feedback. To learn more about their products, visit them at triple-fictionproductions.net or on Facebook at facebook.com slash triplefictionproductions. Triple Fiction Productions, taking Star Trek where no 3D printer has gone before. Wrestling is on two levels right now. Either you all in and having a good time with what's going on and enjoying the body slams, headlocks, submissions, and the tope suicidas, or you're just pissed the hell off at what's going on in the wrestling landscape. What kind of wrestling podcast has the same kind of dilemmas? Your guys here at Turnbuckle Tabloid. Jada Rest Santine Olski is here to bring to you the ridiculousness, the buffoonery, the nonsense, and all that that is just straight wrestling. We're here with that opinionated New York swag and the ridiculousness that goes along with it. Get us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play Music, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts. Turnbuckle Tabloid, you don't want to miss it. And we're here every week, unlike some wrestling promotions. Laters. We now return to Trek Untold. So how did you like working with Scott Bakula in that case and the other actors you actually got to share the screen with? Uh, Scott was another one that was fantastic and really, you know, really there for you as a lead. He, you know, he, he wanted to do the fight. He wanted to make it look realistic. So, you know, I had to, I think, kick him in the, in the stomach one time. And, and I, you know, we, we know how to check our, our, our hits as a stunt man, but he said, give me some more, you know, I need to really feel it. So I, you know, I can motivate what I'm doing. So he was, he was quite adamant about making, making things look real and strong and fast and, um, what you want in a good fight scene. Um, and he was, he was just very, very giving as a, as an actor and as, you know, somebody that was driving the, the scene and the, the production and the, the, the show, he, you know, he was the captain. It was really cool to, to be there, even though I was on, you know, fighting against him most of the time. Um, he was just such a, a, a really nice giving person. Now, all the roles that you played on enterprise involves you wearing some prosthetics, alien makeup, and as you already mentioned, costumes that don't necessarily give you a lot of space to pad up and protect yourself. Uh, but I'm curious about the prosthetics that you wore. So what was it like for you to have to wear all this makeup and still perform the stunts at your level? Uh, it can be quite difficult. It's uh, in, in those prosthetics, especially it's a Sulaban, we were wearing, as I said, a full, it was like a neoprene-like wetsuit. Uh, which makes it very constricting to move already. Plus, you, you're not able to use any pads when you have to do falls. I think the hardest thing about that was the prosthetics themselves covered. It was full head prosthetics. So it covered my entire face. Uh, there was no breathability at all, except through the only places I could even sweat out of that costuming was through the nostrils. And, and it would just be at the end of the day, you know, it would all, all the, the sweat 
would pull down into your, your neoprene boots. I had on these gigantic lenses, contact lenses that were, you know, like twice the size of regular lenses, covered full eye lenses with basically just reptilian slits in, you know, a couple of vertical slits in, in the eye that you could barely see out of. So that added to the, the difficulty when it came to doing fights and stunts and, and et cetera. So it's, it, I don't want to say it was easy, but when you're in the moment, when you're, you know, you're, come on, not everybody gets to be in Star Trek and not everybody gets to be an alien or be on a spaceship. So, you know, that kind of makes up for it. You know, you're, you're getting paid to play and have fun and, you know, it's, it's, it can be a rough job, but it, it, it definitely, it, you know, there are the perks that, that go with it. So it was, it, it's an amazing experience. So Tim, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit you know, past your resume here. Cause I want to get right into our Patrick Stewart discussion. Cause you've been working with Patrick for a long time. Uh, and in fact, the very first time that you were his double was for his show Blunt Talk, which was his dark comedy series about a British newscaster in L.A. So uh, I'd like to hear about yeah. your experiences on that show uh, and how you got cast to become his double. Because that's, I imagine that's not a very easy thing to, to come by. Um, no, it's, uh, I was it's surprised, but I kind of, we, as, as stunt people, we have various means to, to get our, our information out there. Now it's, it's a lot different. Back in the day, we used to have to go out and what was called hustling. And there's still some bit of that where you meet with the stunt coordinator and let them know who you are and give them your resume and let them see what, you know, how you handle yourself. For Blunt Talk, it it was a matter of uh, an electronic submission to um, one of the, we have various catalogs uh, when it com- and and online resources when it comes to stunt people. So I submitted to uh, I think it's called Stunt Contact. Uh, so I sent my stuff into the stunt coordinator, and they actually submitted me to production, and they narrowed it down. They called me up and they said they asked me if I was available. They asked me all my stats, and um, from there they said, yeah, we'd like to use you. So. Um, that wasn't that difficult to a, a casting process on that one. They, they liked what they saw right away. So I was, I was thrilled when I got the call for that. So as we mentioned, this wasn't your first time being around Patrick Stewart, but this will be your first time to work directly with him. Do you remember your very first formal meeting with Patrick Stewart? On that, it was on set. What did we do the first day? Uh, yeah, we, we actually had a big chase scene. It wasn't so much of a fight, but uh, he, uh, his character uh, is, is being very bad. And he is in a car with a transvestite prostitute. And they're, I, I think they're, they're smoking, smoking a pot at the time. Cops pull him over. And he freaks out and uh, they chase him around the car. He runs up on top of the car. They try to tase him. Uh, he ends up tasing one of them back. Um, so it, it's, it was very much a farcical kind of Laurel and Hardy kind of, or Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton kind of, kind of chase scene. 
where they're chasing him around the car. You know, it's, it's a Keystone cops kind of thing. Um, so a lot of that stuff was, you know, we had to work out beforehand. I think we had, had a couple hours to, to work on that beforehand. So I met him, uh, or got to speak with him on set again for the first time, uh, on that in a, in an alley in Hollywood. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, the best place to meet anybody, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So how did you find work uh, with him? Since again, this is your first time you're going to continue to work with him, but, um, how did you find working with him was, was it a good experience? I'm, I'm going to assume that it was. It was, it's, it was, and still is a dream come true. Every time I get to work with him, he is a consummate actor and coming from my background, I was already super geeked out because he was uh, Jean-Luc Picard, which I loved. Actually, my first, my first exposure to him was, um, I think I think I'd seen Excalibur before I even saw Enterprise. Maybe it was at the same same time as it came out, but I was just enthralled seeing him acting, and I went, "Wow, he's a Shakespearean actor!" And uh, that that really drove my intentions to be a, a, a classical actor. So he was one of the the huge driving forces for that for me. So just getting to meet him, which I'd already, you know, when I met him on uh, Robin Hood, I was already truly geeked out. But then when I found out that I got to double him, that was, you know, a a gigantic uh, thrill. Uh, Beyond that, you know, I didn't get to really talk to him much on on Robin Hood, but on, on Blunt Talk, you know, I got to sit there for a while and in between shots, you know, we'd talk about a little Shakespeare or a little, little this and that, and you know, just life experiences, et cetera, et cetera. So it was—he's just an amazing person, and he's so humble and real and down to earth and knowledgeable. He, he, you know, it. The neatest thing was he would talk about things that weren't in the realm of what we're doing we you know we'd talk about everyday life and just just life experiences and you know even still to this day uh when i find out he's done something or you know something that he knows about and it's just it just amazes me how knowledgeable the man is and how you know it, it shows in his work how how much he brings to a character you know how how smart the man actually is. So I was, I was very impressed with, uh, that him as a person, his work ethic is beyond compare. He's no matter what, he always wants to do his role. And that can be sometimes my downfall because he wants to do the fight. He wants to do the jump. He wants to do the running. He wants to do the, you know, if he could, he would fall off a building. He he is so gung ho. He he wants to to do everything that the character is supposed to be doing. So you know, if if the character takes a fall, you know, normally even with a man half his age that I'm doubling, uh, we'll say, okay, you know, you can you can take a break, and the stunt guy Tim is going to step in now and and do this little fall. 
Patrick's not like that. He's he he says, oh, but I'll I, I you know I want I want to do this part of it, and he, he he jumps right in there, and we have to hold him back actually from going for it full out and trying to do all the, the do all the stunts and movements and you know all the action that that he's given. So his work ethic is beyond compare. Even just running in, in scenes when he's not on screen, he insists on being there, feeding the lines to his fellow actors. And a lot of times, you know, actors aren't aren't always that way. It's like oh, I'm not on camera, so I'll I'll be over you know over here, and you know I'll 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 dial this in. And he's not that way. He's he's there doing the scene with you and giving you something to work off of. And it's it's pretty amazing. So as we mentioned, this wouldn't be your first time. It wouldn't even be your last time because you went on then to work with him again on Logan uh, as well as with Hugh Jackman. So what do you recall about working on Logan with all of them? Uh, another amazing experience. I'd also been a gigantic X-Men fan. We were in the middle of, of filming... I believe the last episode of Blunt Talk, and I found out that I got the the job on Logan, and he came up to me. Patrick Stewart came up to me and said, "Tim, I heard you. We'll be working with you, and uh, he, you're going to be working with us on Logan." And I went, uh, "Yeah, I just heard. How, okay." And he said, it, it, it sounds like a really great script. And he started telling me about how much fun we were going to have. And I was just amazed with that. And, and you know, it was that was a, quite a surreal experience because, you know, they flew us off to down to Louisiana. And, and uh, first day on set, uh, I get into the trailer and I, I'm talking to, to my makeup person answering some questions. And all of a sudden I hear, hey, buddy. And and I look over. I, I didn't hear it at first. And uh, he, he said it again. Hey, buddy. And and I looked over, and Hugh was talking to me. And I went, oh, "Hi." <laughs> and uh, that was kind of surreal. But what was amazing was it was just basically me and Patrick and Hugh for the first week or so uh, filming because we were doing inside the, the water tower scene. Um, and uh, so, you know, there were, there were no other actors on set. So we, you know, I was just hanging out with Hugh and, and Sir Patrick and, you know, talking every day and just watching these amazing acting scenes. And it was, it was just so stunning to see the transformation that, that Patrick had gone through to get into this character um, and he told me that, you know, I, I had to follow him on this because on Blunt Talk, he weighed a whopping 155 pounds. And he, he before we were even done filming, he said, I'm losing weight for this. And I went, OK. So he and I have always been pretty much exactly the same. You know, we, now we compare our, to the pound. We're, we're always exactly the same weight. <laughs> but he he went down to 140 two pounds i believe so he lost a lot of weight and i went oh how am i going to do this so i really dieted down i think i got down to 144 maybe but uh he he really he dieted down and he got totally emaciated for that and and uh um so 
that was that was quite a process and they would fly me in and out when they needed me for different scenes and so i was going back and forth between la and louisiana and mississippi and and uh, they were flying patrick in and out and so that was a whirlwind it was it was pretty crazy that sounds like an amazing experience to not only be around again sir patrick but also then to be around you jackman and to watch both them actually work uh, did you learn anything while was, you were on yeah. set while they were doing their parts it, it was it was amazing once again hugh jackman same same kind of deal an immaculate performer just always there for everybody else and on this one, it was nice because sometimes because because of the schedule that they built, Patrick was in and out. So a lot of times they would actually do his over the shoulders and, and uh, his they would they would have me sit in for Patrick uh, and they would send Patrick home or out of out of town. And I, you know, in, in a lot of especially that scene you see me it's it's my arm you know that he he was injecting and um you know some really fun stuff it's it's you know hard hard for me to even tell the difference it's hard to see what parts of me they used and what parts of of patrick they used on on different parts of the scene you know yeah that's awesome so let's fast forward a bit now to more current events where you doubled sir patrick again on the first season of star trek picard so you were there for basically almost the entire shoot, I believe. So just talk about what it was like to work on that show. Uh, and just, again, it's, it, it seems like it's a very different environment as opposed to like the set of Star Trek Enterprise. Just tell us everything you remember from being on that show. Huh? It's, it was really great for a season too, got to say. Yes. It's once again, it's, it's very surreal and it's a dream come true. It's, I love the show. And when I, you know, they really kept it under wraps any characters, any plot, any description of what was going on. All I knew was I was doubling Picard. I had no idea. Um, so the, it, for the longest time, you know, all through, through shooting, not a lot was revealed to anybody. It was very, very hush hush. And in fact, you know, it's, it's, you know, we were under, under a non-disclosure agreement to not reveal anything couldn't take any pictures the show itself is amazing and yes i was i was there all the time once again uh patrick's um schedule was built that the whole show revolves around him so there are very few times that he doesn't have to be there so i was a lot of times just there their backup if they needed um you know a photo double which is they need a long shot uh you know from from 200 feet away you know they would they would be able to put me in or they need an overhead shot where you can't tell it's him or not so i was doing quite a bit of photo doubling on on that as well just doing general movements and filling in and um and even you know there there are sometimes when when it's not a real stunt, but he's involved in scenes where where he's not always doing the action, but he he could be put in danger that they have to keep me in there. So a lot of times I am the safety person to actually make sure that everything that he's going to be doing 
on the day is safe. So I'll be doing that through camera setups and, and stuff like that. Whereas a, if, if, if they just put a, a stand in there, the stand in wouldn't, wouldn't know all the ramifications of different scenes, what could be dangerous, um, what, you know, just going up and down a dark set of stairs at, at, on a set like that can be a dangerous thing. So I like to, you know, really stick close to, to Patrick and make sure that everything is copacetic when he's even just moving through the set because those sets can, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of, a lot of camera equipment that, you know, we don't typically use on a, a, a little comedy, you know, on blunt talk, it was much easier. Um, even, even on Logan, it was much easier. You know, you, you're placed in, in a certain spot and, um, on Star Trek, it's back and forth and, uh, you know, it, it, the dark sets and it, there's, it's a spaceship. So there's, there's always platforming and things that you can step off of and you, know, you, you could trip off of, fall off of. So there's, there are a lot of safety protocols that we have to implement when it comes to, to just the filming procedures. So that's what, you know, I, I was definitely involved in a lot of that. And on, even on some days, you know, when we had, we didn't have major stunts. Um, there's a, the, the stunt coordinator on that show, Scott Rogers, who I, I've actually worked with a lot, um, is awesome. He comes up with the, the major stunts, but when, you know, there's just a little trip and fall or a little, little hit or something like that, he trusts me to actually coordinate those things for him. So he can be working on the, the, the bigger, stunt things you know it's like a second unit kind of thing when it comes to a big show like that so you know i'm i'm involved heavily in the the safety procedures when it comes to my actor and even you know the scenes that that he's in and for a show about someone who is essentially a very very old kind of character there's a lot of big stunts for picard in the series including like the, the first episode there's that big wire pull from the giant explosion um, what would yes. you say was the most challenging <laughs> stunt for you to work on in this series? That was definitely the that biggest was the one. one. All right. <laughs> uh, that, that was a, uh, the, the, the fire actually wasn't there. That's CGI, but definitely that is me that you see flying a good 40, 50 feet. I believe it was, you don't even really see the landing on that one. Cause it was a doozy, but, uh, yeah, it was, it, that was, that was a big stunt. That was I, I I liked it, but uh, you know there there's somewhere you 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 get done with it and you go okay it rung my bell but I'm ready to go for another one, so I did that uh, you know probably five or six times and by the end of it I didn't I I wanted to go visit my chiropractor, <laughs> so. And you mentioned Patrick was very gung ho about doing his own stunts when he could. Were there any times on Picard where he was like, take a seat, Tim, I got this one. Uh, he tried to do that every single time. <laughs> he's, you know, he's the star and nobody wants to stop him. Even I don't want to stop him. It's is physically, that was the entire purpose, like on the Matrix. If, if we can get an actor to do their own action safely and uh, be able to do it again and again, then we want that to happen. There are some times where I know 
you know, and, and that's the, the benefit of being able to, that I've worked with Patrick for so long now is I know his physical capabilities, uh, which are amazing for a man of 80 years old. He still impresses me to this day. And I, I know his capabilities. I know what he is, is not able to do for sure. And what he might be able to do with a little coaxing or, and I, I know what he's going to want to do. He's going to want to take all those little falls and shoot and roll. And, and when it comes down to it, he, you know, you try to, you try to give them as much input as possible, but then you really capitalize on the, the safety aspects of it. And they, you know, he's, he's a smart man and he knows if, if something's a little too big for him to be doing, but you know, we've gotten to the point now where I actually, we train together now. I, I, you know, through, through all my teaching and training before the show was even done, we were working together, lifting weights together, stretching, working on, on fight choreography, you know, just general, general physical fitness, uh, so I've basically become his trainer since then. And, you know, given given what the show has for second season, you know, he's he's able to come back even stronger. So that's really what he's working on. He's, you know, when he came into the the first episode, you know, he's supposed to be a pretty frail old man and no spoilers. But, uh, you know, by the end, by the end of the season, he's he's kind of changed you know so what we're trying to do is both practically for him as as the performer and as the character of picard we want him to be stronger and physically you know more adept at at handling the rigors of what he's doing because you know being in space you know doing just being on your feet and doing what he's doing in the show would, would by definition, you know, put him back into better shape. He'd be more, more agile, more strong, more, more able to do what he has to do. So Tim, of course your resume is enormous. There's so much more we could talk about, but uh, one thing I do want to make sure we discuss today is that you have a school in LA where you teach your craft. So can you tell us about the Academy of Movement Arts and Sciences? Uh, yes, I have a school which I like to put together all those fun things that I've been doing over the years. The the uh, you know the the wire work, gymnastics, fight choreography, stunts, circus arts, juggling, clowning, stuff like that. Even dance. I was a professional dancer for a while. Um, any kind of movement styles that apply to what I'm doing in the world, I like to incorporate into, into my teaching. So I put together this school and I bring in, uh, my friends who are amazing teachers at, at a lot of different things to help people learn how to do these things, especially the wire work and gymnastics and, and, uh, movie fighting. So that's that's uh, my my side gig basically. So aside from teaching and hopefully returning on season two of Star Trek Card, what other projects are you working on these days? I actually have a kids superhero 
uh, health and fitness web series that I'm just, uh, I've, I've, I've shot a couple episodes um, on YouTube. It's called Captain Fit-tastic, and it's been a dream of mine for many, many years. I wrote, in, wrote, wrote it years and years ago and then just never got back to it, and now I'm actually filming that and having a great time with that. So I've always loved um, the aspects of, of superheroes, like the Marvel superheroes, um, health and fitness. So, and, and, you know, entertainment, fun, um, comedy. So I've put it all together into a little web series and I'm having a great time with that. So, uh, that is actually a couple episodes online now, which are just kind of testers, but, uh, that is really coming into its own. And I hope to really expand upon that and make it a big, big, uh, bigger production i've got uh you know some some major talent uh, who i can't name as a, yet uh that are interested in doing cameos and and roles on it because it's like i said superhero stuff um superheroes and villains and it's it's really fun stuff and so that incorporates all the fun things that i love to do once again you know that's what my life is about is is playing and doing great fun things and being happy. Well, I'm excited to check it out. It sounds like a fun project and I'm really looking forward to seeing what uh, surprise cameos you managed to pull in for this. Awesome. Now for anybody who's listening to this show today and is, who is interested in becoming a stunt performer, what advice would you give them to get their feet into the industry? Learn how to act and don't, don't think that it's going to come right away. I get asked questions about this every single day how how do I get into a show? How do I get on a, a show? How do I do stunts? And the first thing that you have to learn is actually, a, and it should be by very nature of it, a very slow progression getting into it. No matter how talented you are as a swimmer, a gymnast, a dancer, a martial artist, those skills can definitely assist you in what you want to do if you want to be a stunt performer or even an action actor but there are definitely not the full capacity of what you should be doing you have to learn how to do movie fighting all of these things are art forms in themselves learning how to drive uh you know stunt driving which is a whole different course, learning how to do wire work, which, you know, we teach learning how to do movie fighting, which, you know, I teach, um, learning how to move the way that we need to move for, for film and performing is, is a whole art form in itself. But first of all, get that love of performing. It's not just falling down. Stunts is not just, you know, falling down. If, if that were the case, then, you know, we would be much more expendable. I have to know how to fall down and do that 20 more times without getting hurt too badly anyway, and make it look realistic. So I'm acting at the same time. So I would definitely suggest to anybody learn how to act, take a theater class, take a, you know, and, and learn how to perform and learn the difference between the realistic things that happen every day, which are, are 
not always so exciting and how to make them make the, the, the fake things that we do look realistic and how to make them look good, whether it's sword fighting on stage or falling down or, you know, just a, a slapstick, uh, a hit or a, a fight scene. You have to be able to sell all those things. Um, so that would be my biggest advice is learn so much about performing before you try to take a fall because the fall is actually the easiest part after you learn how to control everything else. That's very good practical advice. So Tim, last thing for you today, what is the best thing about being a part of the Star Trek universe? Um, I get to be on a spaceship every day. I get to see the stars, which, you know, literally it's, it's amazing. And I, you know, it's the way they've set up, especially Picard, is we're on a, 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 a real, it feels like a, a real ship. All the lights and, and vibrations and smoke and there's, you know, we're surrounded by a big blue screen a lot of the time, but sometimes, you know, there's a star field out there or, you know, so it's, I, I get to see space, even though it's not real. It's the closest thing that anybody can come to it without paying, you know, $3 million. To, to really fly around the moon, which, you know, I'd love to do someday, but I, I get to go to space and I get to be a, a, I get to be every once in a while or pretend that I am Jean-Luc Picard, which not many people get to say. And I get to work with amazing, talented actors like Patrick Stewart and the entire cast. And it's just, you know, a, a, another dream come true for me. I love it. So, yeah, thank you so much for all your time and all your knowledge today. Awesome. Thank you, Matthew. So that was our discussion with Tim Storms, and he's got many more good stories where that came from. It was a real pleasure to hear some of those today, and I look forward to chatting some other time with him to hear more of them. The set of Star Trek Picard was extremely tight, as Tim mentioned, and in an effort to keep the show as spoiler-free as possible, this meant locking down the set from photography of any kind. But if you check Tim's Instagram at StormsTim, you'll see one pic he was able to post from the show him in his Chateau Picard outfit, hanging out with number one. And also, since I mentioned it during the episode, I do want to give myself a little bit of some shameless self-promotion, and I mentioned that I worked on a documentary about stunt performers. Well, if you go over to Amazon Prime, you can look up Concrete and Crash Pads to take a look at that documentary that I directed, produced, and edited alongside Stephen Kepfer. We did that in 2016, and I think it was in about 10 film festivals, and did pretty well for itself. It's about 30 minutes long, so it's really pretty quick in and out, but if you want to get a better look at some of the things we discussed today and just an overall look at the stunt industry, check out Concrete and Crash Pads on Amazon Prime. We're going to have a link below for that as well in the description for this week's episode. So thank you for listening to this week's episode of Trek Untold, and if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show, and if you can, leave a review and rating. We'd appreciate it very much. You can also follow us on social media. Just look for Trek Untold on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you and let us know what you think about the show. If you'd like to support this podcast, check out patreon.com slash trekuntold to learn how you can keep our ship operating at full power. Once again, thank you to our sponsor, Triple Fiction Productions, and shout out to Scott Ray for setting up this interview. If you'd like to book this week's guest for a convention appearance or an autograph signing event or anything else, you can email Scott at scottray67 at aol.com. This has been Trek Untold. I'm Matthew Kaplowitz, and until next time, fortune favors the bold. <laughs>